All right, here we go on the Golf Preview Podcast. I'm RJ Bell's Green Preview. I'm Will Doctor. Welcome aboard as I give you all the picks and predictions you need for the 145th U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. We'll give you a rundown on the course and some headlines rolling into the third major of the year here in just a moment. But first, what a finish we got up in Oakdale at the RBC Canadian Open. This was a PGA Tour event where the leaderboard threw about 36 holes, looked relatively unappealing. But as the weekend went on, you had top 20 players in the world like Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrell Hatton, Roy McIlroy, and Justin Rose all marched into contention. The round of the day on Saturday was, of course, Nick Taylor's 63. And going into Sunday, no one in the field was driving it and putting it as well as Taylor or Tommy Fleetwood. Fleetwood shot 64 on moving day. So it was no surprise to see it come down to those two at the end. Fleetwood, of course, is still in a desperate search for his first victory on the PGA Tour. And Taylor was trying to become the first Canadian since 1954 uh, to win their National Open. And that was uh, that was quite a comeback from Nick Taylor after opening the week with the 75. You know, a lot of the broadcast team was trying to tell us that Nick Taylor had the advantage in the playoff over Tommy Fleetwood because Nick Taylor had won two previous PGA Tour titles. Uh, and that was shocking to me because Fleetwood has won six times on the European Tour. He has five career top five finishes in majors and has competed on two European Ryder Cup teams. I would understand if they told us, well, Nick Taylor has the advantage because there's 27,000 Canadian fans on property and they all want their countrymen to win. You know, that I can understand, but in no way did Taylor have the edge in the playoff over Fleetwood based off resume. And that playoff was an absolute dogfight. Fleetwood and Taylor both birdied 18 in the first playoff hole. Taylor tapped in a five-footer and Fleetwood had to uh, make about a 16-footer to match it, which he did. Then they both tied the second and third playoff hole with pars, which took place on the 18th and the par three ninth at Oakdale. Uh, they go back to 18 for the fourth playoff hole where Nick Taylor finally reaches in two. Neither player had reached the par five 18th and two uh, and either of the first two playoffs hole, playoff holes on the 18th. Taylor did it on the fourth playoff hole and raised the roof off Oakdale uh, and all of Canada with a 72 foot Eagle bomb. And what a scene that was on 18 at Oakdale after that fourth playoff hole you had. Taylor's caddy, Dave Merkel going absolutely nuts. You had fellow Canadian Adam Hadwin storming the green for a champagne shower before getting absolutely decked by a security guard who had no fucking clue that Adam Hadwin is a Canadian PGA Tour winner who had just finished up his fourth round about an hour earlier. But based, best of all, you had Nick Taylor give Canadians something they hadn't seen at their national open in over 60 years. And, and that was the energy Canada needed. That was the energy that viewers around the world needed. And that's what the RBC needed. Um, after a week where the RBC Canadian open was a total afterthought following the news regarding the PIF's new premier uh, corporate partnership in the PGA tour. You know, we spoke briefly about the change of tone between the PGA Tour and PIF last Tuesday as details first emerged as Jay Monahan and Yasser al uh got on CNBC and, and did their little kumbaya 
you know, as I told you, all we really had at the time was a release from Jay Monahan to the players and a couple other player interviews. Since then, we've heard from PIF Governor Yasser. We've heard from PGA Tour member Jimmy Dunn. We've heard from Roy McIlroy. And of course, we've heard from PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. Uh, we've heard all of those figureheads, the most important key figures in the conversation. We've heard them talk. There has literally never been more fake news out there as far as the world of pro golf is concerned like there was last week. So many media elites, so many blue check mark buying frauds out there saying that the PGA Tour and Live Golf merged and how the Saudis have bought in golf. That is not remotely even close to the situation at hand. You have to understand this. The PGA Tour has commercialism in the United States. The PGA Tour has an excellent on-course product. And the PGA Tour has the history, the charity, and it has control of all of the TV deals as far as golf is concerned. What the Saudis have is time and money. They have time and money to continue to invest in the game of golf. They have time and money to spend hundreds of million dollars in court over the litigation if they wanted to, and the PGA Tour could not do that. Now, at what point did the PGA Tour and PIF identify that they would need each other in order to create a unified product? And at what point did PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan make a 360-degree three, turn from everything we have heard out of that man's mouth over the last year about 9-11, about human rights, and about asking his membership whether they've ever had to apologize for playing on the PGA Tour. And the PGA Tour, after elevating purses and guaranteeing money to membership, was not going to be financially uh, sustainable three years down the line. The PGA Tour, after spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in the litigation against Liv, was not going to be able, was not going to be financially sustainable five to 10 years down the line. Even with the help from sponsors and diving into reserves, the PGA Tour was never going to be able to keep up. And the Saudis, while Liv was not profiting a cent, has $600 billion to sit in court and pay for lawyers for the rest of time. So Yasser Al-Ruiman, Monaghan, and Dunn all spent about seven weeks uh, putting together a deal that would see uh, the Saudi Public Investment Fund become the premier sponsor for the PGA Tour. And before you know it, Monaghan and Yasser are sitting together on CNBC announcing some of the early details. And then you had every outlet and their mothers announcing that the PGA Tour and Live Golf Tour would be merging. And as I just told you, can't be further from the truth. According to the facts that we have at the moment, the PGA Tour has not given up control of the PGA Tour. Jay Monahan will continue as commissioner of the PGA Tour and will also become the commissioner of Live Golf, meaning that Norman is out and Jay Monahan, not Greg Norman, not Yasser, will have the final say to whether Live Golf continues past this season. Now, you might ask, well, will Live might go away after this season, but won't Yasser? be able to do what he wants with the tour now that the PIF is its largest investor. Well, let me ask you this. When the PIF invested in Uber, did Yasser change Uber's business plan? No. When the PIF invested in FedEx, did Yasser change FedEx's business plan? 
No. When the PIF invested in Starbucks, did they change Starbucks menu? Absolutely not. For Yasser Al-Ruman, this was never about seeing Live Golf succeed, and this was never about trying to see the PGA Tour crumble. He knows, and you know, the week-to-week product is entertaining, and he knows it's a tour that already has a global footprint with developmental tours like PGA Tour Canada, like PGA Tour Latina America, and PGA Tour China. I mean, the PGA Tour even has a senior citizens tour. And then they had the strategic alliance with the European Tour. So the PGA Tour has the entire globe covered. Now, how do those who stay – and one more note on that. I don't know where the DP World Tour goes from here. I don't know what the European Tour looks like as of next year. You know, this could definitely be a situation where – you know, uh, Jay Monahan and Yasser Al Ruiman cut a deal where, you know, we leave the PGA Tour alone. But how about going and implementing the Live Tour uh, over the DP World Tour schedule? Uh, the DP World Tour has struggled heavily over the last four or five years to put an entertaining product on the screen. You know, once Rory and once Lee Westwood and once Sergio, once they were all done with that tour and came over to the PGA Tour, there's no one to watch on the European Tour. So you could hypothetically see a situation where the traditional European tour schedule is changed and basically the live tour takes over the European tour. That's just a guess. But if Yasser wants to go test the waters of live for a couple more years, if Jay Monahan wants to go test the waters of live team golf for another year, they could use the DP world tour as a pond experiment. Let's just go... Let's just go throw live tour on the European tour and see what happens. You could see that. Now, how do those who stay loyal to the PGA tour get rewarded and how will live golfers rejoin the PGA tour and at what cost? Well, number one, as long as this PGA tour PIF deal doesn't get canceled by the U S government, the top 10 players in the world will end up making what they would have been paid. You'll see the PGA tour operate the exact same way, but the way everyone gets paid is going to be much different. You'd have to think salaries will enter the conversation as far as professional golf is concerned moving forward if this deal goes through. I'm going to predict that Rory, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Xander Schauffele, and Patrick Cantlay, though the guys of that caliber We'll see the money. Now, number two, as far as your middle of the road player on the PGA Tour, the players ranked between 50 and 125 on the FedEx Cup money list. If it's true that the PGA Tour was not going to survive financially through litigation and elevated events and guaranteed money, to be exact, 500K was paid this year by the PGA Tour to every full-time member of the PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour. That's a lot of players. It's over 250 players. If that is true, then this deal with the PIF actually benefits the middle-of-the-road guy on the PGA Tour because if the tour had a financial crisis, they would have a 50-player membership with a qualifying school every year with zero developmental tours and zero international tours. It would probably be a 10-event schedule with the top 50 players in the world, and that's it. 
this deal should see more money in the pockets of more professional golfers. And number two, as far as the penalties for those who went to live and wish to reapply for PGA Tour membership. The PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF will come together to create a for-profit LLC, which is yet to be named. They will give PGA Tour members equity in that for-profit LLC. And as a penalty for those who went to live, they won't be getting any shares or equity of this new company that is under the umbrella of the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF. Now, what is this new company going to do and how is it going to make money? I have no clue. I have no clue. Golf isn't the NFL where the product just prints money. So I'm very curious about this. It plays a big role in how loyalists will get rewarded, and it plays a big role in how defectors will be penalized. As far as I can guess, this new LLC is just an account that the PIF could dump their $10 billion into. That's just speculation, but nothing has been made clear about the new LLC and about how top 10 players will be rewarded and how the Brooks Kepkas and Dustin Johnson of the world will be penalized. Listen, as long as the PGA Tour schedule isn't messed with, as long as there's still a 36-hole cut, as long as there's still full fields, and as long as everyone starts on one and finishes on 18, I'm going to be all right. You'll only see me stroke out if these suits turn golf into a team format circus. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. The North Course at Los Angeles Country Club will host the third major of the year at the U.S. Open. And there's two things that you should know about this golf course when it comes to making picks this week. Number one, don't get caught up in the narrative that a player who sprays it off the tee can win on this golf course. Because while the fairways are wide on paper, the landing areas off the tee on most of the holes are no wider than about 20 yards. And any other part of most fairways outside of that 20-yard landing zone typically leads to the ball running out off the fairway and into the brutal three-and-a-half-inch Bermuda rough. So number one is driving the ball does matter. Driving accuracy does matter. And number two, don't underestimate the creativity it's going to require uh, around the greens to win this year's U.S. Open. The winner at LACC this week will be a player who has a phenomenal short game as well as solid putting. The landing areas coming into this into these greens are small. They have the ability to tuck the pins into impossible spots. And every player at some point this week is going to be relying on their short game. And you cannot afford to take a player with brick hands around the greens this week. The order of play today, we'll be discussing the top seven favorites. Uh, then we will get into the matchups and picks to place. I'll give you two winners and a sleeper before we get to the lineup and scoring prediction. And then I'll send you home with a first round leader and best bet. As far as our futures podcast from Christmas time, our futures for the U.S. Open uh, dating back to December are John Rahm at 11 to 1 and Max Homa at 50 to 1. As for Rom, he's had a phenomenal season with three wins in the fall and then topped it with the green jacket in April. His putting has not been great as of late, but the driving game and the long iron play is 100% there for Rom at the moment. 
And as for Homa, he's recorded two top tens in his last three starts. If I'm being totally honest, I had no clue in December that LACC featured three and a half inch Bermuda rough. Uh, in fact, it's the first time that a U.S. Open will feature Bermuda rough in 18 years. And unfortunately, yes, well, not unfortunately, that, it, that it's a home game for Max Homa. What's unfortunate is historically he does not fare well when golf courses feature grainy Bermuda rough. He has to be sharp with the irons like we've grown accustomed to seeing from Homa. We'll see if he can get it done in his backyard. I'll give you two other outrights in just a moment. Uh, for now, we move right along to the discussion of the seven odds favorites for the 145th U.S. Open. All right, let's start the favorites with Scotty Scheffler at plus 750 on Bovada. He will be in the morning-afternoon wave on Thursday and Friday with a couple of California kids and Max Homa and Colin Morikawa. And Scheffler started the week in L.A. testing out some new weights in that Newport 2 putter. And while I'm against most of these guys tinkering with different putters, why shouldn't Scheffler make some adjustments? If he putts well at Bay Hill... He wins. If he puts well at Augusta, he's putting on a green jacket for the second year in a row. If he had rolled an average at his hometown event in the Byron Nelson, Scheffler would have won in Dallas. And if Scheffler had rolled at half decent in his last two starts at Colonial and Jack's place, he would have won those two events as well. You're talking about, I'm not kidding here. You're talking about a Scotty Scheffler who should probably be a six-time winner on the PGA Tour this year if he was just putting okay. Uh, now putting is, it's a large topic. There's many different distances. There's distances where players are expected to make. There's distances where uh, players are expected to avoid three putts. It's the 10 to 15 foot putts that Sh that Scotty Scheffler cannot seem to buy. That was a, a putting distance last year in which he was ranked top 10 on the PGA tour. So it is, it's crazy to think that world number one is 148th on the PGA Tour in putting right now. But that's the fact of the matter. I do think Scheffler has the creativity around the greens that's needed around LACC. But with the way that he's been putting it, I think plus 750 is, is a crazy number. And I'm out on Scotty Scheffler. We moved to John Rahm at 12 to 1 on Bovada. And as I've told you, we have Rom at eleven to one uh, from Christmas, so we've lost just a touch of value there. You can you can get Rom at twelve to one on Bovada. You know, world number two has been flawless with his driver and irons over his last five starts. We saw him struggle with the putter at Jack's place en route to a tie sixteenth finish, but nonetheless, he still ranks sixteenth in strokes gained putting on the PGA Tour. And if you're a Rom fan, I believe twelve to one is a green light number. Uh, on the Spaniard this week. So if you like Rom, it's uh, the play is to bet him at 12 to 1 to win. Uh, on to Roy McIlroy at 14 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook. And Roy will peg it late on Thursday and early on Friday with PGA champion Brooks Kepka and, and Hideki Matsuyama. The world number three McIlroy comes into LA off three consecutive top 10 finishes. He had a golden opportunity to win the Memorial two weeks ago before he missed a handful of greens inside 100 yards on Sunday, which is totally unlike Rory. 
This is a guy who is historically one of the most dangerous wedge players in the world. Uh, yet he, you know, he couldn't get the job done at Jack's place with wedges in his hand. Rory then goes to Canada last week and puts himself in contention after going 67-66 on Friday and Saturday, but couldn't get anything done on Sunday and finished up with a round of a, a, a final round of even par. And once again at Oakdale, the iron play could have been better for Rory. The glaring stat is that he's 106th on the PGA Tour when it comes to approach shots between 75 and 100 yards. That is a major scoring distance for Rory because when you look at the approach distances that he has after his drives over a round of 18 holes, he finds himself, for the most part, between 75 and 100 yards. And he's 106th on the PGA Tour from those distances right now. And because of that, we have to be out on Roy McIlroy this week at the U.S. Open. DraftKings, the leader in fantasy sports, just dropped a brand new fantasy app, Pick 6. Now, what's different about this thing? I was never a big fantasy guy. You know why? Is I always worried, you know, who's on the other side? Who am I playing against with Pick 6? You're not going against another player or players. You're going against the bookmaker. You're going against the number that they put up. So all you got to do is pick between two and six NFL players and choose if they're going to have more or less of the stat that interests you. Download DraftKings Pick 6 app now and sign up with code RJ. That's code RJ. Only at DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS in most eligible states. But age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings Pick 6 operates. Pick 6 not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date lists of states, please visit dkng.com slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com. All right, we move to Brooks Kepke at 17-1. to 1. On FanDuel, and we haven't seen Kepka since the week after he won the PGA Championship. We saw him at Live DC, uh, where he finished 14th in his PGA Championship honeymoon at Trump National, following his fifth major championship. And all of these media elite clowns want to tell you that it is awkward that Brooks Kepka and Roy McIlroy are playing together. In the opening rounds, and I'm not just making this up. The Irish Times, the Daily Mail, they all printed headlines this morning reading Brooks Kepkin and Rory McIlroy awkwardly paired together in the opening rounds. That was Daily Mail's headline this morning. Guys, they played practice rounds together before the Masters. They played practice rounds together before the PGA Championship. And they both told the press they play together all the time in Jupiter, Florida, where they both live. So there's your daily dose of, of fraudulence from the, the dot-com talking heads. Uh, and back to Kepka. I mean, how could you not like Kepka to some degree this week with a win at the PGA and a second-place finish at the Masters? So I'll give you a matchup as far as Kepka is concerned after we scan these last three favorites. Next up, I'm out. On Patrick Cantlay at 22 to 1 on FanDuel. I understand he is a machine off the tee and he has put together a steady season as he comes into 
LA ranked 11th in the FedEx Cup standings. But in reality, I don't see him as someone who has the creativity around the greens to get it done at this year's U.S. Open. And not only does he lack the creativity and finesse, but he's currently ranked 95th in show scanned around the greens at the moment. So uh, as I've told you, that's a part of the game where everyone will be tested this week. And I don't think Patrick Cantlay is going to pass that test. So I'm out on Cantlay at 22 to one on FanDuel. And next up is Jordan Spieth at 28 to one on DraftKings. I absolutely love Spieth this week. I'll tell you why when we get to the winners and we finish our top seven favorites discussion with Xander Shoffley at 30 to one on FanDuel. Xander Shoffley, while he hasn't won this year, has continued to impress me with how well he strikes the ball. Over his last six events, he's arguably the best ball striker on tour based on driver and approach numbers. And he's number one on tour and approach shots between 150 and 175 yards, which is key because kind of like Rory from that 75 to 100 yard distance with Xander Shoffley's driving distance, 150 to 175 yards is where most of his iron shots will come from this week. And to make him even more favorable, Xander is 12th on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting. So just an all-around phenomenal game that Xander Shoffley has. I'm on Xander Shoffley this week only to top 20 at plus 110 on bet 365. All right, moving into the matchups for the 145th U.S. Open. We start with Brooks Kepka over Victor Hovland at even money on Pinnacle. And while I respect how far Hovland has come with that short game, I think he should be a huge dog to Brooks Kepka coming into the U.S. Open, regardless of the fact that he won at Jack's place a couple weeks ago. Similar to Homa, we haven't seen Hovland successfully navigate Bermuda Rough like this. We haven't seen him su- successfully navigate Bermuda Rough like you're going to see at LACC this year. He's done a great job with his new short game coach, Joseph Mayo, getting his move shallowed out around the greens. But what he's going to face at LACC this week is an entirely different beast. You can have the perfect form, but it's really going to come down to creativity and feel. And Hoblin hasn't quite proven that he's opened the box as far as the repertoire of shots he has with his short game. Even regardless of the improvements with Mayo, don't forget that Victor Hoblin is still 135th on the PGA Tour and strokes gained around the green. So there's still so much room for improvement as far as world number five short game is concerned. Hovland is a great iron player. He's not the best. He's 66th on tour in greens and regulation. So you just know at some point this week, his short game is really going to be put to the test more than it ever has been. And I'm not convinced that he'll be able to navigate that three and a half inch Bermuda rough. And as for Kepka, what's not to like about him coming into LACC after he couldn't seal the deal at the Masters? He came back and took down Oak Hill. He's played very well in the live golf circus all year. And since his last start at the end of May in D.C., he stayed notably under the radar as far as this PGA Tour PIF deal is concerned. He has not wasted a whole bunch of energy getting involved in that. I see another strong major finish for Kepka, and this is the matchup in which I believe he will win with ease. I don't have a Kepka outright ticket this week, but it is incredible to note that if Bruce Kepka somehow wins his second major of the year, he will tie Tiger Woods' career major win percentage at 16%. 
and it would be Kepka's third U.S. Open victory in 12 career starts. So Kepka is really on the brink um, of inserting himself into history here with, with Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods as the only players in golf history to win both three PGA championships and three U.S. Opens. So a ton on the line as far as Kepka is concerned this week. So my first matchup will be Brooks Kepka over Victor Hovland at even money on Pinnacle. Next is going to be Cam Smith over Colin Morikawa, once again at even money on Bet Online. And we saw Colin Morikawa get himself into contention two weeks ago at Jack's place and then withdraw prior to the final round due to a back issue. He said earlier today in a press conference that he was cleared to hit balls at the end of last week. And he asked the media not to make a big deal, not to put too much thought into the way he will be bending over to tee the ball up this week. He said he's working on uh, more bend from the hip rather than rather than just sulking his back over to tee the ball up. So, you know, you can ask me not to make a big deal about it all day long. I'll put a ton of thought into that. I mean, you, you're having to think about the way you're bending over to tee the ball up. Uh, you know, number one, obviously there's something up with Morikawa's back. And number two, uh, between how long this golf course can play and the fact that Morikawa is not that strong of a wedge player, I really don't like his chances this week altogether. He's 145th in driving distance. He's 112th in strokes gained around the greens. He's 143rd in strokes gained putting. And I think that's going to be a recipe for disaster this week. And that's why we'll fade him with the open championship winner in Cam Smith. And when you talk about a golf course that requires precision off the tee and a creative short game with solid putting, Cam Smith is a name that must come to mind. When you listen to course redesigner Gil Hands describe this golf course, there is notes of Sandbelt Australian golf that is brought to light at Los Angeles Country Club. Firm fairways that run out into sand and deep rough, tucked pins that are guarded by deep bunkers and rough. This is a golf course that has an Aussie feel to it. And Camp Smith is coming off a ninth place finish at the PGA Championship. So matchup number two will be Cam Smith over Colin Morikawa at even money on Bet Online. All right, on to my one pick to place for the week with the exception of my best bet. That will also be a pick to place. But here we have Xander Shoffley, uh to top 20 at plus 110 on bet 365. You know, is Xander Shoffley mentally ready to break through to a major championship? I have no clue. Uh, by the numbers, he's about as good as you can get from tee to green and with the putter but hasn't quite made the birdie or two down the stretch in the major to get the job done. He finished 10th at the Masters, 18th at the PGA, and hasn't finished outside of 25th in his last eight starts. Uh, you know, coming into this week, we are hearing, um, you know, not a whole lot about him from the media elites, partly because he's one of the best players on tour to have not won this season. Uh, but there's a reason he's world number six, and it's because week to week, he's one of the most consistent players on tour. And I think he is the one hometown favorite who actually shows up and performs this week at LACC. So my one pick to place uh, for the week, of course, with the exception of the best, but a little later on, is going to be Xander Shoffley to top 20 at plus 110 on bet 365.
All right, I have two outright winners for you this week as far as the U.S. Open is concerned. Number one is going to be Jordan Spieth at 28-1 to 1 on Circa. And to understand why I love Jordan Spieth at LACC, you have to go back to the 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers Bay, which was the last time the USGA visited a much different U.S. Open venue compared to the traditional U.S. Open courses like Shinnecock, like Pebble Beach, or even the Country Club up in Brookline like we saw last year. Chambers Bay was a golf course with huge fairways with incredibly undulated and unpredictable greens. A lot of critics and players absolutely hated it, but the most creative golfer in the planet in Jordan Spieth came out victorious to win his second major championship of his career that week in 2015 in Washington. Eight years later, the USGA arrives at another notably different U.S. Open venue in Los Angeles Country Club, which has uh, a very distinctive look. It's a much different feel than any of these other U.S. Open venues. LACC features fairways that are 50 to 80 yards wide. This course can firm up like an Open Championship or or, or in an Australian PGA at Royal Melbourne. You can compare those two. And the greens, while are much better in condition, have the exact same character and slope that we saw at Chambers Bay years ago. I think Jordan Spieth has the driving ability. I think Jordan Spieth has the iron play. And I think Jordan Spieth has the creativity and feel to tackle the toughest greenside golf shots around LACC. Spieth's struggles have been with the putter this year. We've chronicled that time and time again on the dream preview. Uh, he should have four wins under his belt this year if he doesn't putt like a blind man for the first part of the year. But I have total faith that after a positive week on the greens en route to a tied for fifth finish at the Memorial, I have total faith that Jordan Spieth is, is going to be right there with a chance to win on Sunday. So my first winner is going to be Jordan Spieth at 28-1 to 1 on Circa. And my second outright winner of the week is going to be Cam Smith at 30-1 to 1 on Bovada. We talked about the Aussie and the matchups as we took Smith over Hovlin. Smith will be in the afternoon morning wave on Thursday and Friday as he goes off with U.S. Open champion Matthew Fitzpatrick and U.S. Amateur winner Sam Bennett at 4.30 Eastern on, on Friday afternoon. Smith's last win uh, came back in November at the Aussie PGA Championship. He did not play great at the Masters, finishing 34th, and noted that he wished Live Golf had a few more early season preparatory opportunities to get ready for the major championship season. And starting the week after the Masters, Camp Smith picked up right where he left off. He hasn't finished worse than 11th and four starts since the Masters. So um, on top of the fact that this course mimics an Aussie sandbelt golf course, the reigning open champion world number nine is totally dialed in at the moment. He'll have an excellent chance to win the 145th U.S. Open. So my second outright is going to be Cam Smith at 30 to one on Bovada. All right, moving into my sleeper for the week. It's going to be Hideki Matsuyama to finish atop the Asian leaderboard at plus 200 on DraftKings Sportsbook. And Hideki is still flying under the radar this year as he is 58th on the FedEx Cup standings after a slow start to the year due to a neck injury. He spent most of the spring traveling back and forth from Japan to get work done on that injury. And it, you know, the travel and, and the neck, it showed on the course. Heading into the players in March, Hideki did not have a top 10 finish in his six starts to begin the season. 
And since then, since he finished fifth at, P at TPC Sawgrass and began to feel some relief from that neck injury, Hideki has four top 25 finishes in his last six starts. And in those last six starts, he has yet to lose strokes off the tee or with his iron play. He ranks eighth on the PGA Tour in strokes gained around the greens. So his, you know, not only is his long game dialed in, his short game uh, is in order to have a great finish this week. And looking down the Asian leaderboard, Sung J.M. has not finished better than 41st in his last three starts after winning the Korean PGA. Tom Kim has missed cuts in two of his last three starts. And Siwoo Kim has lost shots with his putter in each of his last three events. So what you're seeing is that with the exception of Hideki Matsuyama, the remainder of the star Asian talent on the leaderboard is struggling coming into LACC. So uh, my sleeper of the week will be 2021 Masters champion Hideki Matsuyama to finish atop the Asian leaderboard at plus 200 on DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, guys, a quick break from the golf to tell you about what we have going on over at pregame.com. Listen, uh, all the boys over at pregame.com are on a total heater. You've got Fezzik, you've got Sleepy, you've got AJ, you've got McKenzie, you have Scott. I mean, wow, what a group of talent as far as buying picks on pregame.com is concerned. So do yourself a favor if you're a listener to this podcast, go use my coupon code US20 this week. That's US20 for 20% off picks from your favorite pregame handicapper. Once again, that is US20 over on pregame.com. All right, back to the golf. All right, my lineup uh, for this week. Number one is going to be Jordan Spieth, who is one of our two winners this week, not counting futures. Number two is Hideki Matsuyama, who we just talked about. He's getting back into his form that won him the 2020 Masters. Number three is going to be Shane Lowry, who has recorded two top 20s in his last three starts rolling into the U.S. Open. Number four is going to be Adam Scott, who has top 10 finishes in three of his last four starts and has gained strokes. This is this is amazing for Adam Scott. Adam Scott has gained strokes on the greens in all of his last six starts. Anytime you see Adam Scott putting like that, he absolutely must be on the card, especially at a major championship. Number five is going to be fellow Aussie Cam Davis, who is very familiar with this sandbelt style golf course. I think he's another Aussie who has a great week at LACC. And number six is going to be Dustin Johnson. And even though he hasn't finished better than 27th in two starts since his win at Live Tulsa, uh, the bottom line is anytime you can get Dustin Johnson at $25 on fantasy, you take it. So reviewing the lineup one more time, it's going to be Jordan Spieth, Hideki Matsuyama, Shane Lowry, Adam Scott, Cam Davis, and Dustin Johnson. The winning score this week will be uh, 12 under par. And this is not a number I've just come up with. Uh was listening to course redesigner uh, Gil Hands and, and, uh, and Joff Shackelford, who was kind of the secondary course designer during that 2010 redo and they both predicted that 12 under was going to win uh and you know who else to listen to for uh the scoring prediction none other than the the course architect so um i mean another feature the weather is going to be perfect all week in la uh so i'm sticking with them i'm sticking with the designers winning score prediction which is 12 under par now the first round leader 
uh, is going to be Xander Shoffley at 35 to one on DraftKings Sportsbook. He's currently seventh on the PGA Tour in first round scoring average at 69.23. And I think Xander gets off to a very hot start with how well and consistent he's been playing as of late. My best bet for the 145th U.S. Open is going to be Jordan Spieth, the top 10 at plus 250 on William Hill. We we dove into Spieth uh, during the outright winner section. And uh, this is the second time we picked him to be our best bet for a major championship this year. Remember, we had Jordan Spieth, the top 10 for our best bet at the Masters, and he went on to finish fourth. So we're sticking right with him. The best bet for the week is going to be Jordan Spieth, the top 10 at plus 250 at William Hill. And that'll do it for the U.S. Open Dream Preview. For any questions, you can find me on Twitter at DRMedia59. And we'll talk next week ahead of the Travelers Championship up in Connecticut. Talk then. When I was young, I was